Pages of Pim Better Podcast. I was coated in sweat from head to toe. My shirt was suctioned to my chest and my hair matted to my forehead. My right arm was bruised from the wrist to my elbow and a slow trickle of blood oozed from where the bruise began. My feet thudded on each metal step, which sent a thunderous echo throughout the stairwell. I didn't know if it was fatigue and delirium or if the building was really that cavernous. Two girls smoked cigarettes and giggled as I lumbered past. Out in the open air, a rat squealed past my feet. The world lit up with the neon glow of food stalls and restaurants. My equilibrium stirred a bit as I followed the scent of a sweet, smoky aroma. A young man played Wonderwall and missed whole lines of the lyrics. A young girl tugged at my shorts and held out her hands for a coin. I half sat, half flopped down on a plastic chair in front of a restaurant. It was salt I needed, calories, something delicious. A couple at the table next to me fixed their eyes upon me. I don't know if it's because I was a foreigner or because it looked like I had just been mugged. But there I sat in my weary state with a plate full of wings, the coolness of the night air hitting me, the couples in arms smoking cigarettes and sharing snacks, cool guys sitting on the back of bikes just looking out at the crowds, the after work family gatherings, the cheesy western covers, and the chatter of a different tongue. It was here that I knew that I was once again a stranger in a strange land, and I was exactly where I wanted to be. Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I traveled to KL without really having any prior knowledge about the city, and I left there perhaps knowing even less than I did at the start. I knew that it was one of two places that would have been a potential layover on my trip from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, to Bali, Indonesia. The other one was Singapore. I knew that I loved Malaysian food, there's a uh, Malaysian restaurant here in Brooklyn that I love to go to. And then Henry Rollins, either on uh, his appearance on Ari Shafir's podcast or on Rogan's podcast, had mentioned KL. So I thought, hey, I've never been there. Uh, rather than use this as a layover stop, why don't I stay in the city for a few days? Now, a brief little tidbit about Malaysia. Go to Google go to a map, Google Maps, or hey, maybe you have a globe, and set your sights on Southeast Asia and check out Malaysia. You'll see that there are two main land masses, the one to the west being Peninsular Malaysia, which is attached to that uh, almost larger Southeast Asian peninsula of Thailand and Vietnam and Cambodia, and the one to the east being the Borneo portion of Malaysia. Kuala Lumpur is part of Peninsular Malaysia, and it is the capital. 
Now, this region has gone through conquest, through extensive trade, uh, and through a whole lot of cultural diffusion, which makes for an interesting culture. Uh, the country itself, in its current entity, is really only about 60 years old. While scientists and anthropologists can trace early peoples back about um, 40,000 years to uh, the Malay Peninsula, the country was not decolonized by um, the English until 1957. Now, that almost sounds like an incorrect history because it's so recent, but it's true. And so for that reason, I'm assuming maybe the country itself has not yet developed a solidified like cultural identity amongst its people. Maybe I'm wrong, but this is kind of the experience that I got, and I'll delve into that a little bit. So, KL. I flew into Kuala Lumpur on AirAsia. Uh, I've talked about this before, but, you know, AirAsia, it's a budget flight. Um, if you're interested in having a beverage, even water or food or something like that, you have to pay for it. All right, no problem. It's a short flight. There was a woman next to me who kept ordering food and ordering food and ordering food. Uh, <laughs> so she was putting out all this hot food, spilled soup on my feet. And she was still wolfing down. It was either super chilly as the plane started to land. And this is normally when they say, you know, put up your tray tables, put your seat back up and all that stuff. Now, as she's devouring this soup and it's splashing all over me, I see this woman coming down the aisle. And she's got a face mask on, one of those paper masks. And she's spraying something. At the same time, they say something over the airplane's PA system I can't quite hear what they're saying, but I, at the end of it, I hear, so please cover your mouth. <laughs> oh, Jesus, what is going on here? So she's making her way down the aisle, and I see people like taking their shirts and covering up their faces with it. So I do the same thing. And I can see that she, it, it looks like she's spraying, at first it looks like disinfectant, but I think it was bug spray. I've read since that point because of Zika and dengue and malaria and things like that throughout the world that some planes will actually sp spray like a uh, an insect repellent on their way down. So you could taste it even through your shirt. You know, your shirt's not a respirator or something like that. But this woman next to me chowing down on this chili, and she's just going. So this, this spray's in the air. It's landing in her chili. Extra flavor for her. She's just going and going. So this was a weird experience for me, not just because of Chili Lady, but I'd never been inside a, an enclosed space like that, let alone an airplane, where somebody's spraying bug spray, like, on you. So right away I'm like, is this a Malaysian thing? Which I don't think it's just a Malaysian thing. I, I think it's a fear of diseases transmitted from mosquitoes thing. I don't know. So when you land in at the KL airport, uh, go through customs as you would in any country that you're entering. Crazy customs line. Like, th there are places where it's quite orderly. Here in the U.S., it's a bit of a hassle if you don't have global entry, but, like, there are, like, um, distinguished lines that y y you know where you're going. Here it's just, like, a mad dash to try to get to any of the, of the counters. I wish I had taken a video of it because it was just chaos. 
But right away I could see like this is a really diverse group of people that are coming through immigration right now. If you're trying to use KL as a layover and see something, you might not get a chance to see much. Most of the hotels and restaurants and all the cultural stuff pretty far away from the airport. So it was a decent drive to get to the neighborhood that I was staying in. Now I stayed in Bukit Bintang. You might know the name Bintang because it is the beer of choice in Indonesia. The word translates to star and that's the there's a star logo on the beer. There you go. You got your first uh, your first Indonesian and Malaysian word. So Bukit Bintang is maybe it's where most of the tourists stay. It's a place with a lot of shopping. I'm not really interested in shopping. Um, I had heard prior to coming to KL from other people around uh, Vietnam where I had been previously that, oh yeah, we go there to shop or we go to Singapore and that's where we get a lot of our shopping done. So um, again, not something that quite interests me. There's a giant mall complex called Pavilion, which I'm going to come back to in a bit. Um, but yeah, right off the bat, I'm thinking, okay, they're shopping here. I've got to find like the real KL in my mind, right? I'm putting that in air quotes. Uh, I've got to find like, what is this place all about? I should mention that I was in a weird headspace this whole trip, kind of maybe sort of trying to identify a place where I would eventually want to end up living myself. And so I wanted to get to the heart of the places that I was seeing for the first time. Wasn't quite sure I found that heart in Kale, and I'm still not totally sure, but I might have. So all of these websites I was checking out, and even like the Lonely Planet, and 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 some of the more offbeat type of travel bloggers and things like that, they were all recommending doing the same things in Kale. Some of these things were going to see the Patronus Towers at night because they light up, and you could get a cool picture there going to the top of the KL Tower, which is the tallest structure in the city. Going to the Echo Park, the bird sanctuary. I did these things. And I'm not quite sure that I found something uniquely Malaysian or something that is un something that is able to define Kuala Lumpur. So I went to the top of the KL Tower. You get a cool view of the city. You get to see a lot of the rooftop pools, the strange sort of arrangement of the city. You know, if you're if you've ever seen an aerial shot of New York City, you see Central Park, you see a grid-like pattern. If you've ever seen an aerial shot of Barcelona, that's a really cool-looking grid pattern. This was kind of just like a hodgepodge of streets, lots of one-way streets, um, lots of building up. But the thing that stuck out to me was like there was no order to the city really. But again, this is just a trip up a tower. I don't know that I quite learned much about Malaysia from the top of that tower other than the fact that it was packed with tourists who were there to take pictures. But even in New York City where I've lived for eight years and lived in New York my whole life, I've never been to the top of the Empire State Building. It doesn't quite interest me. But I did it. And like I said, not sure that I learned much. Went to the Echo Park. This is something that gives the city the ability to boast that it is one of the only, or I think the only modern city in the world that has retained a portion of its original rainforest. 
And hey, that's pretty cool. As you're approaching it, you can hear like uh, frogs, tree frogs and bugs and things like that and birds. But when you're there, you can see a soccer field no nearby. You can see the tops of buildings and I could hear construction going on. So it's not quite like being out in the jungle, which you can easily do in many places in Southeast Asia and especially in Malaysia, you can. So there too, I'm not sure I quite got a feel for the city. Now, the first time that I might have started to feel like I'm understanding a cultural element within KL was when I went to Dragon Muay Thai. The morning after the first night that I got to Kuala Lumpur, I found out that there had been a fight card the night before that I missed, which was super disappointing. But I know that uh, one championship does MMA fights, and I think there's some kickboxing and stuff like that within Kuala Lumpur. So that's something that I would hopefully check out uh, the next time that I'm passing through Malaysia or KL. Dragon Muay Thai is on Jalan Alor Street, which I'm going to get to in just a little bit. It is in a sort of unidentifiable building. It's just a, a tall building that seems to be housing a lot of different things. It looked like there were apartments in it because there's no elevator. So you're walking up, uh, I think to the third or fourth floor to get to the gym and like there's cigarette butts put out on the stairs, dim lighting. Uh, you hear like noises coming from the apartments kind of felt, I don't know. It almost felt like dreamlike or like a, like a movie sequence on the bottom floor. There were like street hawkers and sellers that had food and I could hear just like thwack, thwack, thwack as I'm walking up these steps and that was someone kicking the bag. And so I walk in there. It's just some straight monsters in there. I remember this, <laughs> there's this one guy that looked just like uh, Sagat from uh, street fighter. Now there's no Westerners there. There's a little bit of English spoken. Now, what I had tried to arrange was that I would go there and do a private. Um, I've talked about doing Muay Thai before on this podcast, but it, I'm not someone that's trained. I've, you know, I've done classes in a few different countries, but I'm not. I wouldn't call myself someone that is a Muay Thai practitioner. And so I wanted to do a private because even in a beginner's lesson, some of those people have been doing it for you know quite a long time and if I'm holding pads for them or, or whatever, I don't want to, I don't want to screw up their time, especially because there's no one there that's speaking English. So when I got there, they told me, oh, there's no privates right now, even though we had kind of prearranged it. So they said, just, just, you know, join the class, join the class. So I said, okay, join the class. Now, really cool setup. I love this. I love this in the gyms that are in Southeast Asia, like half of it is open air and here, you know, third, fourth floor, um, the one wall that's missing, you can see out over Jalan Alor Street and, uh, you know, you can see out into the city. Like most other places in Southeast Asia, it is really hot. So this gym, you know, there's no fans or anything like that. So it's boiling. Um, similar to if you go back and listen to my episode about Chiang Mai, when I talk about doing uh, Muay Thai there, not like the most, not the most clean, you know, clean gym. When, uh, when we're running during warmups, you know, if you step off of the pad, you're running on like this dirty concrete that they have there. So that kind of adds to the charm for me, at least like I, I clearly don't want to be leaving there with a staph infection, but, 
Um, I don't know. There's something about it that also just feels like like a 1980s movie or something like that, like you're, like you're in Kickboxer. Uh, so did about a two-hour class there, got my butt kicked, left there, you know, just drenched. I was bloody. I was bruised. And that leads us to that little segment from the intro where I'm out and I'm on Jalanalore Street. This is where I really felt like I started to maybe understand some of the culture here and the, the diversity, and it's in the food. I don't mean to sound like an episode of, you know, Bourdain show or something like that, but I truly think I was finding the meaning in Kuala Lumpur through the food. I'll try to explain to you. I'd read that on Jalana Lore, the place to go was Wong Awa, and the thing to get was their chicken wings. And what I had read was absolutely correct. Now, Wong Awa is on one end of Jalan Alor Street. I couldn't tell you which end that is. If you enter one end of it and it's not there, just walk all the way down to the other end and you'll see it. You'll notice the smoke. There are grills right there on the street and they're, you know, wafting at the flames and the smoke is going everywhere and it smells amazing. This particular restaurant op uh, occupies about... Mm, maybe about 10 storefronts. So they've got a whole lot of tables and they're all full. You know, this, this is one thing I love about eating in Southeast Asia is that like after work or after college or school or even like a late night snack, everyone's hanging out and eating together. Like eating and drinking is, is a social affair. Um, you know, it feels much less so like that in America today, at least, you know, in for people who are very busy and are working careers and things like that, or people that just have time to pick up fast food. I just love the communal atmosphere of it there. Now, these wings, <laughs> these wings are killer. I've mentioned before that like one of my favorite places to go in New York City is Pak Pak, and that is because of their wings, their fish sauce wings. These wings are like a close second for anywhere in the world for me. I'm going to, you know, kind of shamelessly and admit that my guilty pleasure is Wingstop. Those wings are good. But these wings, they were cooked in kind of like a sweet soy sauce, I think. Um, I, I'm not going to be able to do them justice. Get the wings at Wong Awa. They're amazing, like smoky soy sauce type of flavor. Super cheap, like food is all over Southeast Asia. You know, Malaysia is no different. Um, amazing. We also got, um, what else did I order? A couple of greens. Uh, they're famous for their seafood there too. Got some really like, uh, thick and hearty noodles that were cooked in a sauce that was very similar to the sauce that the wings were cooked in. Just amazing. And the atmosphere is so cool there. Um, their street performers are a big thing in KL, uh, and they're good. Like, these aren't people that are begging or something like that. Um, the street performers get a large congregation of watchers and people who are eating or just chilling and they want to watch. So I saw this all over the place, like a, a guy in an acoustic guitar or a couple or a little group with a drum kit and a guitar. There was this one uh, McDonald's, and every single night, the steps in front of the McDonald's would be full of people, and there'd be performers there right in front of it playing. 
There were so many people that it was hard to get by that area of, of Bukit Binte. So I loved that. Just like the street performers, the music. Going down Jalan Alor, there's Thai food, um, Indian, Chinese, all the neon lights. I just loved it. Absolutely, you have to go to Jalan Alor Street if you are in KL. And so the diversity in, in the food continued. I had read that you need to go to Chinatown and the main street within Chinatown is Peddling Street. And yeah, like it's a, it's a street market, right? It's a night market. It's there during the day, but I, I went at night and it looks like any other night market or street market in other places in, you know, every single city essentially in Southeast Asia has these. But around the outskirts of Peddling Street and down some of the alleyways is really, really, really good food. Now, primarily Chinese, obviously it's Chinatown, but there was Thai, there was some Malaysian. I had the chicken rice, which was just absolutely killer. I think it was a Chinese chicken rice more so than it was the Singaporean chicken rice, kind of like that Hunan style chicken rice, but it was so good and it was massive. It was that kind that was cooked in a clay pot. So it comes out just like super hot. The bottom part burns a little bit and gets crunchy. I don't know if people don't like that. I love that. Um, again, like a chicken kind of stewed in like a soy sauce type of flavor. Really, really good there. Um, I think the beers are taxed higher than they are in other places. Um, I, think, I think it's called like a syntax or something like that. I don't know if it's because it's a religious country or not, but, uh, but still cheaper than it is here in America. Um, so I recommend checking out Peddling Street as well. Get the chicken rice. Uh, or go down an alleyway. I, I Again, like in Vietnam, uh, I even experienced this in Bali. Like alleyways are just, for some reason, I think are really cool. Like they seem kind of ominous. Like what's down this way? Like is someone going to jump out of a, a, you know, a, a doorway or something like that? But then you come across like an amazing food restaurant that's hidden down that alleyway without a sign or anything to tell you that it's there, and you end up having something amazing and delicious. So this is what I would recommend doing in uh, Chinatown there or at Peddling Street. Again, a market is a market. Maybe you'll find something cool that you want. But for me, it was about the food. So I'd had something that was either Malay or Chinese in the wings, and then Chinese food in Chinatown. And coming out of Peddling Street, there are, there's like a row of storefronts of really good Indian food. So I stopped for a late night roti. And you can watch these guys make this fresh right in front of you. Like they're making that flaky kind of, I don't know, is it phyllo dough type of a um, dough that surrounds the roti and the meat in the middle. Some fire, fire, fire sauces that they served us. Just really good. So we've got Indian, Chinese, I mentioned that there's Thai, there's Malay. There's all these different food cultures that are representative of the diversity within the city. How do you get around, at least from uh, Bukit Binteng to Chinatown, you can take a free bus. There are these colored lines. So the purple bus took me from Bukit Binteng to Chinatown but there are other colors that take you to other parts in the city. There's a railway system that has a stop within Bukit Binteng. 
And then, of course, there's taxis. I should briefly mention this. I mentioned it, um, I think, probably in the last two episodes. But Uber is a new thing there. They have another ride-sharing app that's called uh, Grab. Uh, but Grab wasn't working for me. Um, but Uber is fairly new, and it is sort of uprooting the traditional uh, taxi cab companies and people who just are solo taxi guys um, because it's much cheaper. This is good for you as a budget consumer, but you should be aware of the fact that it is changing local economies. Um, and you should also be aware of the fact that in some of these places, there's a strong reaction against Uber. So I went for a couple of rides where the driver had told me, yeah, I've been physically assaulted by some of these taxi groups. He called them gangsters. I don't know if there's actual like organized gangsterism there and, you know, they're like these like, taxi mobs or something like that. I don't know. But it is something that I experienced. Some hotels don't even want you to take an Uber because they've got a relationship with the taxi companies or they have their own cars that they want you to purchase. Uh, but it was just drastically, drastically cheaper. Um, and so I did take some Uber rides. And like I said, they had some pretty interesting stories about it. Now, there's a really interesting food phenomenon within Kuala Lumpur that I wanted to talk about. While driving in a taxi, I asked the driver, where can I get nasi lemak? This is what I always get here in Brooklyn. Uh, I'll try to describe it. My food descriptions are pretty poor. But you get white rice. You get like a stewed curry chicken. You get these cool pickled vegetables that are there to kind of, I think, is to soothe from the heat. Sometimes you'll get sambal, which is like the chilies and onions hot sauce that they have there. There's different types of sambal. They have that in Indonesia too. Uh, and you get some of this like anchovies. It's just, I love it. Like the different textures, the different flavors. Uh, it's amazing. Now, I had thought I'll go get this on the street. I've been eating all this food on the street. Like this is what I love to do. And the taxi driver said, go to Pavilion and go to Madame Kwan's, which I think might even be a chain. So I'm like, Pavilion? That's the place, that's the mall, right? That's that giant mall complex. I said, yes, go there. So I'm like, What? go there. So he drops me off at the mall. I'm walking around looking for this restaurant. You know, it's a mall. It's got all these Western companies. There's Gucci, Gap, all that stuff. Uh, ask a security guy, hey, where might I find Madame Kwan's? He said, oh, food court's downstairs. I'm like, food court? Now here in America, I'm sure there are some good restaurants and malls, but you all know what I'm talking about when I say that there are like these standard items at food courts. Maybe there's a Taco Bell, but there's always like a Sabaro, a Panda Express, uh, Auntie M's pretzels, that like slushy company with the dog on the slushy. And, you know, I'm not crazy about any of these places. Uh, maybe you are, and so if I'm offending, well, then I'm sorry. No, actually, I'm not sorry. It's pretty gross food. It is drastically different in KL. So I'm walking through the food court and there's food from everywhere. There's sushi and it is fresh. And I'm watching them cut portions of the fish right in front of me. There are Chinese dumplings. There's Malaysian food, 
There's Indonesian food. I watched uh, noodles being made from scratch with the dough. So nothing's freeze-dried. Nothing's just add water. You know, like Taco Bell meat like comes in a bag. Everything was fresh, and there was care put into it, and there were a ton of people eating there. Like, just like Jalan Alor Street, people were going there to eat with their families, you know, after, after work, after school. And it's not like they were going there and shopping. I saw people come in the, come in the side entrance, go and get food, and then leave. So I was really impressed by the food court here. Now, I went to Madame Kwan's, and the Nasi Lamak was killer. So if you find yourself in that mall for whatever reason, I recommend checking out the food court and also checking out the Nasi Lamak at Madame Kwan's. In fact, even if you're not shopping or anything like that, just go to the mall and, and check out the food court just for the experience. It's really cool. Now, another driver kept saying, go eat at Lot 10. And I was looking this up online and I was having some trouble finding information about it. But every morning when I went out in search of a coffee, I would pass by uh, this H&M. It was like right on the corner. And one day, I was actually driving past in a car and I saw that the H&M, which is part of a larger complex, had a giant sign on the back that said Lot 10. This is Lot 10, another mall structure. End up going down into the food court, also in the basement, and also just perfect. So over the course of a few days, I went there and I got sushi and I got Chinese dumplings and soup dumplings. When and we get an omelet in the morning for like one or two dollars American. Again, fresh, clean. Like people are happy. They're doing their craft there. Like, I don't know. The food courts were super impressive there. I've heard that there are really good food courts in Singapore as well. And so I do want to go there for the food. But to me, like... This makes, it, this makes the destination totally worth it, the food. If, if you're looking for a food city, KL is one of the best food cities I've ever been to. Now, again, like all these different cultures are representative of the fact that people are coming there from all different places and that there's a, a, an extensive history of culture being exchanged. Now, I think so many people are going there and staying and living there because... Within Malaysia, this is like an economic center. It is a modern city, uh, home to the, like most of the major telecommunications companies there, financial institutions, colleges. So perhaps that's why it's such a mixture now. Again, I couldn't find anything that quite pointed to like this is Kuala Lumpur other than the diversity. So maybe that is what KL is all about. A mixture of people and food types and cultures. I don't know. It looked a lot different from other cities within Southeast Asia. Uh, large highways and um, mostly cars within the city. There are motorbikes, but way, way more cars than there are uh, motorbikes, which is a contrast from a, a lot of the other cities that I've been to in Southeast Asia. But the food was just so good. Um, laksa is something else that you have to try, like a curry stew, um, just, just amazing. So if you find yourself with the opportunity to go to KL, I would say go. 
I would say, check out the food. If you either live there or you've been there and you love the city and you have recommendations, please reach out to me. If you can tell me what the city is all about, do that. Because again, I left not quite knowing. Other than the food, there seemed to be far fewer cultural elements to check out that felt authentic, that felt deeply rooted in a, in a past. There's the Batu Caves, but other than that, not much. There were some cool temples that I checked out, but I'm thinking that because of the fact that the city in its current incarnation is so young, it hasn't yet developed a unique cultural identity. But again, if you've discovered it, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. So what else? I can say that I had a really good time this past month on my trip away. I'll have a few more podcasts that relate to the places that I've been to on this trip. But um, yeah, this was, this was one of the more, the more special ones for me. And I really look forward to going back. I want to go back. I want to go to, um, to Borneo. And I want to do the whole longhouse experience. I want to go in a boat on the river. When I was in Jogja, I had a conversation with um, a gentleman named Daniel. Daniel, if you're listening, hello. Thanks for listening. Uh, but he had told me how he did an excursion or a trip with a bunch of people through Borneo and how like they came across a cobra and um, falling in the lake. You'd come out covered in leeches. Like It sounds crazy, and it sounds like something that's, that's right up my alley. Also, I know that there are some fight gyms within Borneo as well, and I'd love to try to interview someone uh, from that area. So I'm uh, looking to go back to Malaysia. Obviously, I'm going to go back to Southeast Asia and probably pretty soon. I think that's all the updates I have for you. Um, following this one, I'll have um, perhaps I'll have someone on, but I think I'm going to do a couple solo episodes about the last few places that I've traveled to. As always, you can reach out to me uh, via email at thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com. I put up a little contest on my Instagram for National Book Day, um, National Book Reading Day, in which I'm going to give away the various books from the authors that I've had on this podcast. So that's Eating Korea and Eating Vietnam from Graham Holiday, uh, Tested to the Limit by Consoli uh, Nishimwe and um, 360 Degrees Longitude by John Hyam. So uh, I got a couple of emails about that, but I still have a couple of those books. So if you want to email me or leave a comment on social media, uh, you could, the, the Instagram is The Voyages of Tim V. Uh, do so, and I'll ship those books out to, to someone. All right, cool. Thanks, folks. As always, take care of each other, and peace. Mm-hmm.